game. They're battling this for these loose spots. Jari, he's going for the yeah. empty net. Bouncing towards the goal. He scores! You have witnessed history. Tristan Jari becomes the first goaltender in Pittsburgh Penguins history to actually score a goal. The great Josh gets off on the call. Tristan Jari nails it. I like what Elliot pointed out in the previous block about that too, about how quickly Tristan Jari got that shot off. It was a very impressive play and not something that I really anticipated we would see from Tristan Jari. Josh Yowie from The Athletic joins me now. And and Josh, I was just talking about that goal last night. Not Sidney Crosby's, of course. Um, But Tristan Jari, not a guy that we think of as one of the better puck handlers in the game. But, man, he got that shot off real quick last night. Yeah, he did. I I actually think he's a really good puck handler. Or let's put it this way. He's a really talented puck handler. And sometimes guys who handle the puck really well also get themselves into trouble. Um, cause he tends to overhandle the puck at times as everybody remembers, I think from the Islander series a couple of years ago when he handed the Islanders a game five overtime victory, uh, game four, I think it was. Um, but he certainly is talented in that regard. We see him do it in practice all the time. I mean, he, uh, he's always trying in games. Now I've never seen him try with only a one goal lead. Usually it's a two goal lead when he, when he tries to do it. Um, but I give him credit, and I can tell you just from being there, he didn't really have any other options. Nobody was open for a pass. That was actually the safest play he could have made. Worst-case scenario, it's an icing, and, uh, yeah, what a moment that was. Yeah, it was it was great. And, you know, it's a, it's a nice story here for Tristan Jari because you and I had this conversation at the end of last season about where the Penguins go in goal here. And the free agent group wasn't very good. And, you know, there were a lot of, there was a lot of talk about maybe Jari wasn't going to come back and, you know, kind of let's see what happens here. He gets rewarded with the contract extension and he has played excellent this season. You know, the numbers are vastly improved from last year and he, it's just a really nice story. And, and Jari has given them, you know, stability in net where we thought maybe he might not have, if he was in fact coming back to Pittsburgh and, and it's turned out to be a really good deal for both sides. Well, I'll tell you, he's been pretty locked in and I was just looking at his numbers for the month of November. Uh, his goals against was two nineteen, a save percentage was nine thirty two, and heck he scored a goal. So, yeah, he had a little bit of a slow start, um, but he has really been hot. And his backup, Alex Vodalkovich, has been really good, too. Uh, goaltending has been a real strength for the Penguins. And I always say with Tristan Jari, like, he has the physical talent. I, I really think just in terms of pure talent, he's a top-10 NHL goaltender. He sometimes mentally hasn't been able to put it all together. Um, and he kind of has these, these lapses of focus for whatever reason. Um, but he's been really, really good. I don't think I've ever seen him play with more confidence. So, you know, the Penguins still have certain flaws, and I, I think a lot of people thought goaltending might be one of them before the season, but uh, Tristan is starting to silence some people in that regard. I, I really think in the Eastern Conference, he's been one of the best goaltenders. Uh, as good and as deep as the East is, I don't know how great the goaltending is in the East. Maybe after, you know, the, the, the obvious Names, whether you're talking Shesterkin or Vasilevsky, uh, guys like that. But uh, 
Jari's been really good. His numbers are as good as anyone's right now. They sure are. Another guy whose numbers seemingly are as good as anyone's. I mean, we shouldn't expect anything less, but at 36 years old, Sidney Crosby's on pace to break his career high in goals, which was 51. He's on pace for 52 right now. Uh, he's sh- certainly showing no signs of slowing down. He looks like he's playing on another level right now. Is this just an even more motivated Sidney Crosby, uh, especially after the way that last season ended? Well, he's always motivated, but it might be a fresher Sidney Crosby. He's not used to having that long of an off season. Uh, maybe at his age, he needed a little bit more of a rest. I don't know. That's just one theory. But he's been great. Uh, he leads the NHL in even strength goals. He leads the NHL in even strength points. You just don't see that from a 36-year-old hockey player. Even when Lemieux and Gretzky were still putting up huge point totals in their mid-30s, uh, they were relying more on the power play at that point of their careers. Uh, Crosby just has so much energy every game. Honestly, he's probably playing even better than his point totals would indicate that the Penguins power play has just been a mess. So he's not getting any cheap power play points at all, but he is just buzzing every night. I, I, you know, maybe I'm biased because I see him play every night. I don't know, but I still think he's one of the five best players in the game. I, I really do. And it's not just the numbers that he's putting up in the goal scoring. You know, he leads the league in faceoffs. One his faceoff percentages, you know, one of the very best in the league, all of his defensive responsibilities, the minutes he plays, um, he, you know, he's just, carrying the penguins right now he he if he keeps playing like this i i would not be shocked if he's in the heart trophy conversation i i really really think he's playing that high level hockey right now yeah he's he's a he's always a treat to watch like if he then that's the thing when you said it when you're at 36 you know it's the power play it's you know those those chances in and around the net and he's like like the goal he scored last night what a shot that was over the shoulder of vasilevsky i mean that's that's as good as it gets from from anybody in the league, let alone somebody that's 36 years old. Uh, you, you mentioned the power play there. This is a, a, a power play that when you look at it talent-wise, you're like, okay, there should be no excuses as to why this is, this team is struggling right now. But is there something that you can pinpoint with, with this group right now? Because it certainly doesn't make a lot of sense considering the guys that are on it. It has been an absolute disaster. And you're right. you got Hall of Famers all over the place with Carlson and Crosby and Malkin on the power play. Jake Gensel's a 40-goal scorer on the power play, and, and Brian Rust is having a great season. That's the other guy on the power play. So, in theory, it makes no sense at all. And I will say this for the Penguins. Um, the one thing that I see night in and night out, they have absolutely zero net front presence. Uh, Gensel's a great player, but he's also about 170 pounds. Okay, so he's not like Patrick Hornquist is going to stand in front of the net and take a beating. So far too often you see the Penguins just passing the puck on the perimeter. And, oh, they do that beautifully. They do that as well as anyone. But you know, what good is that if you don't have anyone obscuring the, the vision of the goaltender at all? That's been, to me, a real issue. Um, I don't think Carlson's been the problem. Uh, he knows how to run the power play. We know that. And, and obviously Crosby and Malkin are still operating at a very high level but it's just not working. And not only is it not working, but it's gotten to the point where the Penguins are giving up odd man rushes while on the power play almost every night. Um, It's costing them games right now, and they've got to figure it out. They've tried a couple of changes here and there. It hasn't worked yet. They they separated Crosby and Malkin for a game and gave them their own power play units. 
that was a disaster. Um, man, so something's got to give. It's honestly been pretty painful to watch. Uh, you mentioned Eric Carlson, and I do want to get to Brian Rust because I agree, uh, a great season, especially after last year. But Carlson, four points in his first eight games, and three of them came in the same game. Uh, and now 14 points in his last 14 games. Was this just a matter of just getting acquainted with the players and, and learning the style of play? Or was there something more to the slow start for him? Well, yeah, I think it's been an adjustment period. And I also think with Eric, like, he's aware of what people say about him, that oh, he's going to hurt you defensively and and that kind of stuff. And he was a minus whatever last year. I saw him in October, I think, going out of his way to be good in the defensive zone. And, and he was pretty good in the defensive zone, almost for Eric Carlson anyway, playing it a little safe. Um, that certainly hasn't been the case in the last couple of weeks. And while the defensive work hasn't been quite as good, maybe you're, you're starting to see him, you know, do some of the stuff with the puck that makes him so unique. So I think he's getting more and more comfortable with the Penguins as time goes on. And you're seeing some of the chemistry now starting to develop between Carlson and Crosby. Um, Carlson was joking on the bench a couple of weeks ago about the, the chemistry that Crystal Tang and Crosby have. They got together for a goal in San Jose, and Carlson was mic'd on the bench that night. He said, man, that's chemistry. Look at those two. And he almost sounded a little envious of it because he hadn't played with Crosby that long. Well, you can see it starting to show up now a little bit. So when you consider how bad the power play has been, and Carlson's still almost a point per game, um, that tells you he's, he's doing something, right? I wanted to ask you about Brian Russ. Like, The first year after the extension obviously did not go very well, but, you know, we see him now 10 goals in his first 19 games. He battled a a little bit of an injury here lately, but a really impressive season from Brian Ross. So what can we, can we point to something as to what went wrong for him? Was it just merely the weight of the the new contract with him? I I think it was, Uh, he's one of those guys. uh, He's incredibly prideful, you know, and he, he's not going to, you know, give you a lack of effort just because he got paid. He's not one of those guys. And I think he put too much pressure on himself last season. Not that he was awful last year. He still scored 20 goals and was a really good penalty killer. There's only so many guys that, you know, give you that combination. But I, I spoke with him during training camp back in September, and he told me that he was angry with himself for the season that he had. And he did a lot of soul searching in the summer and he trained harder than ever. And boy, has it been evident? And I, I promise you, there's nobody else Sidney Crosby wants on his right wing. He loves playing with Brian Rust, and, and you can see why. The, the speed that he plays with, the tenacity, and he's really willed himself into becoming a good goal scorer. He's not the most talented guy in the world, really, but he just worked on his shot, and he worked on his finishing ability and everything else. And Man, is he a good player. Uh, I got about 30 seconds for this answer here. Jake Ensel, seven goals thus far this year. And, you know, one of the more underrated scorers, I think, in the National Hockey League. Um, Any reason as to why you think he struggled putting the puck in the net? Because he feels like one of those guys that at any moment could go on a stretch where he scores, you know, eight goals in eight straight games. And then we're like, oh, there he is. He's at 15 now. And and that looks pretty normal. Um, Is it just puck luck right now for Jake Ensel? Well, he's still collecting plenty of points. He's been more in the setup role and Crosby at the finishing role. I really think that's all it is. And remember, Gensel didn't have a training camp. He had ankle surgery in the offseason. In fact, they didn't even think he'd be ready for the start of the season. He came back a little early. 
I think he just had to work himself into game shape a little bit. But when it's all said and done, he's going to score his 35 or 40 goals like he always does. I, I have very little doubt. He, he's a really underappreciated player. Yeah, he certainly is. Uh, I always love watching Jake Ansel play. Uh, Josh, thanks so much for taking some time today. Really appreciate it as always. And uh, we'll chat with you down the road. Thanks, man. My pleasure. Anytime. There he goes. Josh Yowie from The Athletic. It's time for Line Change presented by Sports Interaction. Your homegrown sportsbook bet local. We're looking ahead to Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow night. And, of course, we're going to go with the Zadorov Bowl. Canucks at the Flames. Nikita Zadorov, we expect, will make his Canucks debut. The puck line is projected to be Flames minus one and a half. The favorite is five and two in the last seven meetings. The home team is eight and three in the last 11 meetings. And the over, six and two in the last eight. And 24, 11 and five in the last 40 meetings in Calgary. This is going to be one of those games where... You know, I'm really curious to see how the Canucks bounce back, especially after last night and that loss to Vegas where, you know, the defensive effort really wasn't all that great. Not that Calgary provides the same type of offensive pushback as the Vegas Golden Knights do, but, you know, Calgary's got a lot to prove here too. When you look at the numbers, uh, leading scorers, there's three tied with 15 points in 23 games. It's Nazem Kadri, it's Elias Lindholm, and it's Jonathan Huberdeau. And they're frankly, well, they need a little bit more. Um Connor Zary has been a, a nice little surprise here for them with 10 points in, in 13 games, but they really do need more from that group. And boy, oh boy, the Canucks at any moment in time, offensively, they can have just an outburst. When you talk about, you know, JT Miller and, and Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson, Brock Besser has been fantastic. I mean, it's a really fun and talented group. Calgary's got their work cut out for them tomorrow. So we will see how that one plays out. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. We're going to continue the conversation about those Vancouver Canucks when we come back. Thomas Drance from the Athletic and Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650 will join us. Uh, all that and more when we come back. This is the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in. Jeff will be back on Monday. I don't even know where Jeff is. Like, usually I know these things. David, do you know where Jeff is? He didn't tell you either. Oh, okay. Apparently he is somewhere in southwestern Ontario. These are things that I do not know. As the great Jeff Blair once said, I am like Byron Leftwich, longtime backup quarterback in the NFL. Just give me the game plan and I will execute it to the best of my abilities. It's one of my favorite lines of all time. Uh, Thomas Trance from the Athletic and Canucks Talk. Joining Matt Marchese here. Drancer, how are you, pal? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I uh, hope he's doing well in his undisclosed location. I hope so. I mean, because then he's got to come back and host the show on Monday because, yeah, uh, yeah. anyway. Um, okay, so obviously the big news uh, is the Canucks. Oh, no, no, not the loss last night. Uh, the Nikita Zadorov trade. Uh, so when you break it down, it's really Beauvillier and a third for Zadorov. And I know that's not how it worked out, but basically that's how we got here. Um, looking at it that way, how do you feel about that kind of a deal? 
Well, yeah, you know, there's an advantage to having cap space, right? And the, that's what we saw with Zadorov. I think there was a lot of sticker shock. I don't know that there should have been, but there was a lot of sticker shock that Zadorov went for such a reasonable price given the hype that I think is built up around, you know, the Calgary Flames and the status on the trade block of several of their blue liners, Zadorov being sort of chief among them, given the way that his trade request was publicly proffered following a, you know, standout performance against the Toronto Maple Leafs in the center of the universe. Yeah. Timing Um, is something. (laughs) Timing matters. Uh, But you know, the Canucks ability having shed the Beauvillier contract to eat all 3.75 million uh, of Zadorov's cap, it like pretty clearly greased the skids to allow them to buy you know, low, although I think I'd suggest they paid market price for the most part uh, on a player, you know, who, who I think certainly brings some size and certainly brings some chaos to the Canucks blue line. Uh, he'll be a lot of fun to watch. He'll, he'll definitely light some guys up. Um, he's got the big bomb. Like there's a lot to like in terms of the entertainment value, but you know, I, I don't know that people in Vancouver are ready <laughs> for this level of chaos. It's going to be very interesting to watch exactly how he fits um, on the Canucks back end. Well, I was going to, I was going to say as a, as a whole, the player is, seems like the perfect Rick Tockett type fit because he brings some snarl. He has a little bit of offense to his game, not a ton, but I think he fits in. He's a nice compliment to what the Canucks already have on the back end in terms of fit in the lineup. How do you think they deploy him here? Like, could you see him playing a little bit more with, Quinn Hughes and give them, uh, you know, a little bit more of a, a defensive mind. Again, the chaos is still there when it comes to Nikita Zadorov. But how do you think he yeah. fits into this lineup? Yeah, and Zadorov's an interesting player in that his overall defensive impact is pretty good. But on a play-to-by-play basis, um, you know, things can get a little bit chaotic, right? Uh, that the, he is prone to trying to do too much, both as a puck carrier and, you know, chasing the hit. Um, certainly there's, there's a penchant for giveaways or uh, suspect uh, decision-making with the puck, but on balance, he still gets there in terms of being an effective defensive defenseman. So, you know, macro micro, right. is sort of a, an interesting source of tension. Will he play with Quinn Hughes? I mean, he hasn't played a lot on the right side. I know he can do it, but in Calgary, he mostly played um, righty. Like he, he was very rarely with Hannafin or, or Shillington or, or one of their left-handed uh, defenders, he played a fair bit with Uyghur, but that was with Uyghur on the left side. So, or sorry, on the right side, excuse me, his natural right side. So, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see Zadorov necessarily get airdropped into that spot with Quinn Hughes. Like, of late, the Canucks have, because of the injury to Carson Soucy, which is a long-term injury, and he's at least a month away still, um, you know, they've been playing, first of all, the absolute wheels off of the Hughes-Heronic pair. Uh, They've also been leaning perhaps a little bit too heavily on uh, Ian Cole and and Tyler Myers. And over the course of this past week, for example, the Canucks held practice on Monday and then again on Wednesday. And at both of those practices, uh, one of their defense pairs, like Hughes and Hironik on on Monday and then Cole and Myers on Wednesday, were given a, a maintenance day, a day off effectively, which I think speaks to just how heavily taxed Vancouver's sort of four most credible NHL level defensemen have been really over the course of the past month, amplified since Carson Soucy got hurt in that game in Montreal that first weekend of November. So, you know, I think more than anything, getting Zadorov in 
lets the Canucks go back to three lefties, three righties, something this coaching staff with Adam Foote running the defense and Rick Tockett obviously is the head coach. Um, you know, their, their philosophical preference is to have strong side defensemen uh, on each side. So I'd expect Zadorov will play the left side and not with Quinn Hughes. And, and I thought Tockett gave a really revealing answer when asked about Zadorov's impact last night following the game. You know, he noted, I mean, we need his minutes. Like, we need his minutes because we've been taxing some other guys on our team a little bit too heavily. And frankly, the Canucks looked tired against the Vegas Golden Knights playing their fourth, fourth game in six nights. Like, you'd expect the team at the end of a long road trip to be the tired-looking team. They weren't. It was Vancouver. I, I do think part of that is the challenges we've seen to the depth uh, on Vancouver's back end and the minutes burden uh, that's resulted, particularly on Hughes and Horonic. Uh, at the top end of their lineup. So I I think Zadorov will bring stability, but I think he'll be a left-side guy, and this is sort of where the fit gets interesting to me, is once Susie gets back, you have Hughes, Susie, Cole, Zadorov, all making over $3 million. Um, You know, this coaching staff's either going to have to be adaptable in terms of moving one of those guys, and Ian Cole would sort of be the prime candidate based on his experience playing his weak side, but one of those guys over to the right side challenging their own philosophical preference, or, you know, I, I do think it's going to be an interesting situation to monitor given that Zadorov pretty clearly uh, is seeking more ice time, a bigger role. Uh, he was pretty firmly the fifth guy in Calgary and he's joining a sort of another crowded group, especially on that left side in Vancouver. So that that's sort of where the fit doesn't seem uh, optimal to me, I suppose, over the long term, even though Zadorov's short-term impact in this lineup uh, in, in terms of giving talk at options, I, I think it's going to be enormous. Thomas Drans from The Athletic and Canucks Talk joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Uh, I mean, maintenance days. We should ask for those, eh, Drancer? Like, I, I think oh. maintenance days are the greatest thing ever. I got to start applying for those. Um, okay, so <laughs> uh, aside, aside from the trade, uh, I know last night was, you know, not the, the greatest performance from the Canucks, as, as you mentioned, but I did want to highlight Brock Bester because, and for good reason, I mean, he's off to a great start, 17 goals and 10 assists through 24 games. And, and when we look at where things were, basically kind of around this time last year, I don't yeah. think a anyone could have envisioned this type of production from him or B that kind of production in Vancouver or C that he would even be in Vancouver. What happened that changed this relationship between Brock Besser and this organization, or was it ever as bad as maybe it was made out to be? I know there was talk about him being dealt and, and maybe he goes to Minnesota and some sort of deal, but this has been you know, a nice little story to come full circle for a guy that let's face it, he's been through a lot and to see this kind of production, uh, it's a really great story. Yeah. I mean, I don't think too much was made of it. Like his agent uh, is Ben Hankinson of, I believe Octagon, And Ben Hankinson had permission to talk to teams about facilitating a trade for Brock Besser uh, and and was actively doing so throughout, you know, months of last season in the lead up to the trade deadline. So, you know, this wasn't spurious rumors. This was like confirmed team was willing to move him. Um, His agent had permission to find a trade. They were never able to find something that worked in part because the Canucks weren't willing to retain enough. And sometimes, you know, the best deals are the ones you don't make, right? Like sometimes you get to the end of a season, you sit down with a guy and cooler heads prevail. Um, You know, I I don't think there was ever like a a hard trade request that had to be rescinded. I don't think it's like that, but I think Besser did, I know Besser did make clear both to the team and then to the media, his season ending availability last summer, 
um, that he wanted to stay in Vancouver, that he wanted to be part of the solution here. And, and I think the way he played down the stretch with JT Miller uh, for Rick Tockett, I think helped cement that as the way forward for this team. Like he was really good down the stretch. His two-way game seemed to find a bit of a groove and, um, you know, cooler heads prevailed. I think both sides backed away from the ledge and ended up going into this season committed to making it work. And to Besser's credit, like he's looked a step faster. Uh, I think he had a great summer. It certainly looks like it. And then, you know, there's an opportunity story here too. And that one thing that's been sort of interesting about Besser's trajectory in his career is he comes into Vancouver as like the only hope during some very, very lean and dark years uh, in, in that sort of late Sedin tenure um, post Sedin transition era. And, you know, at that time he was on the half wall in the power play and he was their best weapon. And he was a Calder trophy finalist and they really built a power play around Besser at, you know, basically in the OV spot, just sort of hammering away on the power play. But, as the years progress, they, they land JT Miller. JT Miller takes that spot, so he gets sort of displaced to the net front. Then they trade to, to uh, trade for Tyler Toffoli. He gets displaced, bumped off of power play one entirely. Um, he, he sort of loses these opportunities. And, you know, I, I don't know that I'd call those like failures so much as some of the limitations or, or some of the learning experiences that he had, some of the inconsistency that he dealt with on his way up or, or on his way to this point in his career – sort of caused him to get all these reps at different parts of, of Vancouver's power play one, including getting bumped off entirely to power play two. And this year, Bo Horvat is gone. Rick Tockett comes over, uh, comes in. He, he changes up the power play. The Canucks play a far more movement-based power play now. So Besser, Miller, Kuzmenko in particular are often seen rotating. So Besser will play the net front. He'll play the bumper. He'll play the half wall. And all of a sudden, it's like all the reps that he's gotten – as a result of not succeeding in the past has made him sort of the straw that stirs the drink in some ways in replacing this team's leading five on four scorer over the past four years, Bo Horvat on PP one. Uh, he's had a lot of production there. He's had a lot of production at the net front. His work as a screener has improved. He's been on this matchup line for the Canucks that had a nightmare outing yesterday against Jack Eichel and the Vegas golden Knights. But, but for the most part, has been a really crucial driver of Vancouver's success. Um, you know, he's leading the NHL in empty net goals, which speaks to his development as a, as a complete player, a two-way player. Um, you know, and, and certainly there's some good fortune here, but Besser's produced at a, at a good enough rate already that even if he, he deals with some regression in his finishing rate, even if he's finishing at his career norms over the balance of the season, is a guy who's very likely to challenge for 40 goals at least um, that's a that's a pretty incredible glow up from a guy who's been you know like way more effective, in fact, than I think he's been regarded as. Even when times have been tough for him in Vancouver, you know, even coming into this season, Matt, like if you looked at Besser on a per eighty two game basis, he was sixty five points per eighty two games. Like that's nothing to sneeze at. That's yeah. a top line caliber point producer. Um, so is it a surprise that he's leading the NHL in goal scoring at, at sort of a quarter of the way into the season? Yeah, a little bit. But, I mean, this was there in his game. I, I think this is just the marriage of, of sort of opportunity, better structure, better team performance, um, you know, in an organization and a player that having sort of walked right to the edge of the cliff decided instead to try and make it work.
There were a couple of places I wanted to go, but I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, over the course of the last, let's call it calendar year, it's been a real whirlwind in Vancouver, whether it be, you know, uh, yeah, you know, it's been a tumultuous time. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just a bit. <laughs> and, and in that time, we heard a lot from Jim Rutherford and now we don't mm. hear anything from Jim Rutherford. And so I know that he said that, you know, basically like I'm talking too much and I'm not going to do this. And you know, the G you're going to hear from the GM. Well, we've only had to hear from the GM a couple times and it wasn't for anything, you know, significant. So as we look at this, I guess what I'm asking is it's probably a better thing in Vancouver that we're not hearing from Jim Rutherford and not because we don't like to, um, because sometimes no, Jim we, says we something quite like to, yeah, but, <laughs> but this just means that the temperature in Vancouver is cool and there's nothing crazy going on and full circle. Rick Tockett has done a fantastic job with this group. Um, the stability that Rick Tockett has, has brought to this organization at the coaching level. Um, what is it for you that most impresses you about the way Rick Tockett runs this team? Uh, look, I mean, I, I was buying the Tockett bump a lot more than I was buying the Boudreau bump uh, sort of down the stretch last year, uh, although they had such a soft schedule down the stretch last year that I wasn't sure how much, how much money to lay down on it. But you could see the structural impact. Uh, you could see the defensive form um, that Tockett was able to install pretty quickly. And that's carried over into the season. You know, I think his best work is still on the power play. The fact that the Canucks, you know, parted ways with Jason King, who'd run, you know, a top 10 power play over across his three years in Vancouver, um, that Tockett took that sort of portfolio on himself. Power play one is run by Tockett personally. Power play two in Vancouver is run sort of jointly by Henrik and Daniel Sedin. So he sort of got an apprenticeship program effectively going on. And that and the Canucks power play has been absolutely lethal. I mean, it's the best part of their game. It's an atom bomb most nights uh, that the club has in their arsenal. Um, you know, for me, that's the best work. But I, I think 1A would be just the overall defensive solidity that he's been able to impose on a team that, you know, m- more often than not looked like something of a bleep show in their own end in previous years. Um, It's just been such a massive improvement in form for Tockett and for the Canucks in terms of what they're surrendering night to night. Uh, And then, you know, I'd add this, like Tockett's just basic, straightforward honesty in his communication strategy and style, the way he deals with the media, uh, the way he's willing to focus on and express uh, like details about his club's tactical approach, X's and O's. Um, you know, I think that's resonated with the media members here. I think that's resonated with the fan base. And, and I think he's been no nonsense. Like last night, one of my big takeaways was talk. It kind of defended his team's performance, even though it was poor. And it was kind of the first time we've seen it. You know, we're, we're so used to in Vancouver anyway, you know, when the team plays well, coaches tend to try and tamp down the enthusiasm because this market can get carried away with itself. And, and vice versa, when a team struggles, a coach tends to like protect the team because again, this market can get a little bit carried away with itself. And for the most part, when this team's played poorly, talk, it's been willing to say so when a player has played poorly talk, it's been willing to say so. Last night in discussing that loss, Tockett seemed to be protecting his team, and that felt notable to me in part because it was sort of the first time where this club has 
put in a dud performance has really struggled, has been outclassed, frankly, and, and Tockett hasn't been, you know, willing to admit that or call that out, right? Instead, he's like, we pushed well in the second period. And it was just such a departure from the raw honesty that's sort of become Tockett's signature as a communicator, certainly in terms of the public-facing part of his job since arriving on Canada's West Coast. Um one of the guys that has, and you know, he caught a lot of people's attention when he talked about JT Miller at the end of last year. And listen, JT Miller has played as good as he has played anywhere else in his career this year. And and that includes, you know, early in his tenure in Vancouver. And when we look at JT Miller, like what's the narrative surrounding Miller at this point in Vancouver? Because a lot of people, you know, they talked about maybe the effort and the two-way game. And, and now we're seeing JT Miller put up you know, significant point totals as a member of the Canucks here. Um, what is what is the fan base's reaction to JT Miller right now? Oh man, it's it's complicated. Like it's always complicated. The fact is is that he's played really well this season. He's played really well under Tockett. Um, you know, I know he believes that a lot of the perception change around him is based on team performance more than anything different about him. That you know his season was defined. Uh, in part by the media last season off of a a few tough moments that are just the natural product of frustration. Um, You know, not dissimilar from what we're seeing occur in, for example, Edmonton in the early part of this year. Um, And then with the team winning, you know, that, that flips. I I know that's how he feels about it. I, I think this fan base is excited by the way that he's played defensively for the most part, by the way that he's con- conducted himself and carried himself. We've seen far fewer, um, of those tantrums, um, you know, we've, we've seen far fewer evident moments of frustration from him uh, when we have seen those moments, like he got benched in the, in the second period earlier in the year. So, um, you know, talk, it's clearly been able to get through to him uh, in some ways, or at least hold him accountable. Um, you know, it, it, when, whenever we've had or seen some flare ups uh, of things we've seen in the past, but, you know, Miller's Canucks tenure has been a really interesting one, right? He comes in as a two-way winger. Uh, He sort of ends up taking over the power play. He moves to center. He has a 99-point season as a center. Then he really struggles at center last season. Um, You know, it's kind of been one thing that's been sort of notable about Miller year to year is we've seen, like, elite impact, and then he's been sort of a, a, a good top six forward type impact, and then elite impact, and then, hey, a good top six forward type impact. And then to this point in the season, he's had a lead impact, but probably at his worst game of the year last night. And like, I was gobsmacked by the way that he was uh, effectively criticizing his own performance last night, post game, right? Like if, if you go hear that scrum or hear audio from that scrum, I know daily hive wrote it up. Um, and, and largely they were my questions just being like, you know, things have gone so well for you, but uh, you know, in a matchup role, but tonight you, you, you know, your line effectively got chased and they did like the Miller line went up head to head with the Jack Eichel line last night. And then the first period um, shot attempts were seven, nothing for the Jack Eichel line four nothing on the shot clock two nothing on the scoreboard. I mean, um, and then talk, it went away from the matchup and it was notable because that's just something we haven't seen all year. In fact, when, when the Canucks went through Toronto, Sheldon Keefe was like working overtime to duck the Matthews versus Miller head-to-head matchup all game long, um, which, which you know, speaks to the level of respect, I think, that Miller is starting to demand as a result of his defensive game. 
Um, wasn't his best outing last night, but for the most part, people are seeing that. Um, they're seeing a guy play like a, a real power forward beast game as a, as a shutdown center with a pretty rare profile who's, you know, a, a key part of, of what Vancouver does five on four and is among the NHL scoring leaders. So for the most part, I think there's been a lot of positive vibes around how this fan base feels about Miller, a player whom they've occasionally had a complicated relationship with. Um, but, you know, I still think there's a little bit of skepticism about whether or not there's staying power for him as a matchup center, right? Like the, the matchup center on a team that, you know, in, in Vancouver anyway, fans are certainly hoping can contend for first in the Pacific and, and hopefully make a long run in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be uh, very interesting to see how the rest of this one plays out. Drancer, thanks as always for your time. You spent a lot of it with me. Greatly appreciate it, pal. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime, bud. Be well. There he goes. Thomas Drans from The Athletic and Canucks Talk. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, but when we come back, some audio that we're going to play here from John Tortorella and uh, David Sis for the Week in Review. I'm Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff Merrick on The Jeff Merrick Show. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff. He will be back on Monday. I'm told he's in Hamilton. This is this is the information that I am given. Uh, speaking of Hamilton, a shout out to the King Rebellion AA U13 team, who are the number one ranked team in North America. They are in that tournament. Uh, know a few people on that team, so good luck this weekend. Also, um, because these guys don't ever shut up and they drive me insane. Um, a shout out to the fantasy trolls who I play with from guys from high school. Um, leave me alone. Stop talking. Hello and goodbye. All right. Last night was, there was lots going on. Um, there's one thing that I do love in the sport of hockey. And it is one person in particular, and that is John Tortorella. And he is not one to mince words. Um, he certainly was not happy with the officiating last night and the call on uh, Garnet Hathaway. Uh, by the way, Luke Hughes coming back from the injury scoring the OT winner there. What a story. Um, but here's, uh, here's John Tortorella last night on a benching of sorts. Scott said that he felt like going back through the middle wasn't good enough. Is that what you saw with regards to the first? And did that play into to why you, you sat Joel for the rest of the game? I'm, I'm missing your question. Are you asking me why I sat Joel? Sure. Because he didn't listen. I'll answer your question that way. None of your business. Okay, come on, guys. You know I'm not going to go there. If you want me to keep answering questions here, don't bring me into that spot. I love John Tortorella. That's how I'm gonna. That's like whenever they somebody asks why asks why uh, why did you uh, why did you ground your your child? Because sure. he didn't listen. Bingo. Perfect. I'm just gonna have that on replay in my house. Why? Actually, my wife could probably say that a lot too. Why did you get mad at him? Sure. Because he didn't listen. That's right. 
That sounds odd. I've heard that before, actually. Eesh. Probably too used to that. But John Tortorella is a beauty. And this is not the first time that Joel Farabee has been benched by John Tortorella. Like, let's not forget. This is this has happened more than once. It happened last year. But the way that John Tortorella reacted to the Garnet Hathaway penalty last night, like he was incensed. And I get it. I didn't think it was you want to call two minutes for boarding. Maybe I'll give you that. Five minutes and a game misconduct. I think we've lost the plot here a little bit. But anyway, John Tortorella is a beauty as to no one's surprise. Uh, the other thing that happened last night was pretty cool. It was the first goalie goal in Penguins history. Uh, we heard the call earlier before we had Josh Yoey on. Josh Getzoff was obviously great on the call. Um, but a really impressive goal. Like how quickly he got that shot off. The reaction from the teammates, Eric Carlson, like... You could tell that they loved that for Tristan Jari. And here is the aforementioned Tristan Jari postgame on scoring a goal. Uh, I think it was just kind of a perfect scenario. They dumped it right on net, and I didn't even have to stop it. I just shot it right on the fly, and it just ended up going in. Did you know as soon as you shot that it was... Assuming um, they didn't pick it off. Yeah, I had a pretty good idea. I was able to get high enough and uh, just try not to land it too far closer to us so it spins, and I think it, uh, it, was just, it was pretty lucky. That was a physics lesson. Drop it here, and then it, so it doesn't spin. and That's a lot of thought process into the old goalie one tee because that's essentially what it was. I guess nobody's going to be playing it near Tristan Jari anymore on an empty net. Just a guess. Just a thought. But a, a great moment for Tristan Jari. The Penguins win 4-2. Uh, it's a big one against the Lightning. They were down 2 nothing in that one. And, uh, of course, Sidney Crosby. What a goal that was. I know Vasilevsky got a little low in the crouch there. And Crosby just zips it right over his shoulder. Short side. Top corner. Just unbelievable finish by Crosby, who is on pace to potentially break his career high in goals, 51 was the career high. He's on pace for 52 at 36 years old. Boy, oh boy. I I don't know where the end is for Sidney Crosby, but I hope it's no time soon. Because even what he's doing at 36 years old is incredible. I know I'm not of the same physical condition as Sidney Crosby, but I have a hard time rolling out of bed at 34. This guy is going to put up like 120 points at 36 in the NHL. What was the line about uh, Colby Armstrong said to Sidney Crosby? Is there a league higher than the NHL here when he's working out when nobody else is? Well, I guess we figured out the reason because he's kind of good. Um, the other guy in that lineup that, and we didn't get to it with Josh Joey because we had some issues with the phone, but Evgeny Malkin is likely going to be in the top 36 in scoring all time after this year. And we all make the joke about how he wasn't among the top 100 players of all time, which, well, that was a joke. But the fact that, you know, he's going to be in that category, and I just feel like we don't talk about how, the greatness of Evgeny Malkin enough because we talk about him when Sidney Crosby's not there. And, oh, my God, look at how Malkin's playing without Crosby. Evgeny Malkin plays like that all the time. He's one of the greatest players that we've ever seen. 
over 1,200 points. He's probably going to be at or at least close to 1,300 points by the time this season's all said and done. And another guy that who knows when he's going to be done playing. But again, hope it's not anytime soon because just a fantastic player. Love watching him. And when you, you know, you could do this with a lot of guys, but, you know, go on YouTube and pull up the Evgeny Malkin highlights and just watch in amazement. A guy that big who moves that well, such a good shot, such a great player. Um, so shout out Evgeny Malkin, shout out Sidney Crosby, the Penguins, and Tristan Jari for scoring that goal last night. All right, week in review time, and I there's a lot that we can get to. We can go in a lot of different directions as we bring in producer of this fine program, David Sis. Um, I was going to say, am I going to put you on the spot to ask who's harder to work with? But that wouldn't be fair because I know it's me. Um, what do you got? Because he didn't listen. Because he did exactly. Because he didn't listen. Uh, what do What do you got for uh, for today? I mean, where do we start? It's been a crazy week. I mean, it has. Corey Perry to the Zadorov trade yesterday. Like, what? I don't know where to start. But we're going to start with the Leafs. Okay. And okay. Sure. The rest five, of Canada is thrilled yeah. with us about that. Five regulation wins. Yeah. All year. Uh huh. Twenty one games. Five regulation wins. Now, I was just talking to uh, some of the people we have working on the show, and we're talking about how it's good that you could win in, you know, OT, being able to, you know, take those two points whenever you can. Jake McCabe said it yesterday. Two points is two points. But is it, though? If you're winning games in the shootout, in three-on-three OT, how does that prepare you for the playoffs? Are you, Matt, worried about that? Well, I think that the shootout point is a fake point anyway. I've always said they should go to a tiered system. And Jeff laughs at me when I suggest that. But yes, I think regulation wins are obviously very important, especially when it comes down to tiebreakers. We understand how important regulation wins are to that. But when we look at the Leafs, like they're four and one in the shootout. And, you know, four wins out of 12, not even in overtime. Right? So... I look at it and I just say, there's lots of runway here. There's still lots of season left for them to figure it out. But what's the thing that we've always said about this team? It's like, well, they're going to figure it out in the regular season. It's always the playoffs that are the issue. Well, now it's the regular season that they need to figure out because Boston's better than a lot of people expected. Florida, despite not having Montour and Ekblad for the a good chunk of the beginning of the season are also better than people expected. Detroit's right on their heels. Tampa Bay, I mean, they've kind of scuffled of late losing three in a row, but they're way better than we thought they were, and they just got their goalie back. So it's going to be a different conversation. Like the Leafs aren't running away with the Atlantic like I think a lot of people, myself included, thought they were going to do. They have their goaltending issues. They have their... God knows they have their defensive issues. So in a long-winded way of answering your question, yes, I am worried because you need to finish games off in regulation because none of the extra frame stuff translates to the playoffs. You're not playing three on three in the playoffs. Obviously, there's no shootout. Like there, there's, there's some concern there. Can it be fixed? Of course it can be fixed. You need to get better goaltending and you need to pay, play better defensively because uh, at last check, they've allowed 70 goals against this year. And that is among, you know, they're kind of middle in the pack in the Atlantic for a team that didn't really have goaltending issues last year with Ilya Samsonov. They certainly reared their ugly head. 
if it wasn't for Joseph Wall, I actually don't know where this team would be right now. So uh, concern level, I would say it's bubbling. I wouldn't say it's boiled over, but I would say it's bubbling. How about that? So does Chris Tanev potentially fix those issues? Boy, if he's going to put his face in front of shots, I think it fix a lot of issues. Um, he might make more saves than some of the, the goaltenders have, but I don't think it's one guy. Like that's the issue with the Leafs defensive unit is I don't think this is a one guy fix. You talk about Morgan Riley and Jake McCabe and I'm sorry, but if William Lagason and uh, Simone Benoit are playing fairly regularly, I know Lily Grin's out. I know Jordano's out right now, but Chris Tanev brings you a different element to the game that this, this group doesn't have in abundance. He's, you know, he's got a little bit of nastiness to him. He's a bigger body. Like that Leafs defense is not, it's not intimidating. Like if you look at Vegas's defense and, and granted they have two number one defensemen on their team and Alec Martinez is pretty good. Thank you very much. Zach Whitecloud, go down the list, Nick Haig. But that's an intimidating defense. The Leafs aren't, they aren't that. And when you want to win in the playoffs, like Elliot and I talked about earlier and he mentioned it, when you're building a defense, size does matter again, but you have to be mobile. You can't just have these plotters that are out there just kind of taking up space. They're not pylons, but they need to have guys. They need to bring in guys that can, that are frankly can move laterally and don't just have to go up and down. Um, They're not the uh, table hockey players. They got to get in the way. They got to be able to move around. And the Leafs just don't have that. So I think a guy like Chris Tanev would help. And honestly, like, I don't really care what the package is that you have to give up. I mean, obviously, there's a limit to my, you know, craziness. But I don't know. If you, if you have to move a, a second-round pick and you get Chris Tanev and then you can lock him up to an extension, I, I can't imagine that that is the price entirely. But if it's a second-round pick and a mid-level prospect, sure, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, that's a no-brainer. Um, I feel like the longer the season goes, the more that the bigger that package becomes for Chris Tanev, because then more teams get interested. For sure. I mean, the earlier you're going to make the move, always the better. The closer to the well, trade Vancouver deadline. did it, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the closer to the trade deadline, the more expensive players usually are. Now, before we move on to the Oilers, mm-hmm. I got to ask this. Obviously, the Oilers' defense has struggled a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Goaltending is. Also been an issue, but yep, no whose good. defense, when healthy, would you rather have? Oilers Ooh. or the Leafs? Boy, oh boy. Right now, it's currently constructed. It's probably the Oilers. Because I think, because also, the Oilers, the Oilers defense hasn't looked great, but they also haven't been getting a ton of saves. Like, lately, they have. But, you know, Evan Bouchard and, and Matias Ackholm and Darnell Nurse... Those three are better than the Leafs' top three, and I don't think it's remotely close. So, yeah, I would take I would take Edmonton's, and I, I don't think it's all that close. And now going to Edmonton, though, obviously we spent a pretty much a week just going on. Oh, feels how, like since the beginning of the season we've been talking exactly, all about Edmonton. Talking about so let's continue. Yeah, we, we there, <laughs> there was nothing good coming out of Edmonton for a while, but when you look at the standings right now, after there, they're on a four-game win streak. They're only five points out of the final wild card spot, which is currently held by the Coyotes. Do you think we were a little bit too hard on the Oilers? No, I think we were. I think the the temperature level was exactly where it needed to be. But I said, and and I had this conversation with Jeff. Um, Jeff had this conversation with Mark Spector. 
if there was a team that could get out of this, it's probably the Oilers because let's face it, they have two of the best players in the world. And, and I know that when I said it to Elliot earlier, it was very simplistic and I meant it, you know, half jokingly, but it's kind of true. They got a few more points from Connor McDavid. He scored a few more goals and they got a couple more saves. That's the difference. It's not like the roster changed. Connor McDavid got healthier. Matthias Ekholm got healthier and they're playing better. Like what a coincidence. Who when you thought? have when you have the best player in the world who goes from like 54th in scoring to 10th in 4 days, well yeah, that's that's going to do wonders for you. So, I think we were I think we were where we should have been in our assessment of how the Oilers were playing, but I also don't think that anybody thought that in that moment you know, when they fired Jay Woodcroft, granted they, they had won the game previous when they fired Jay Woodcroft because they weren't going to bring in a coach at the end of a road trip. But I think at that moment, I think a lot of people had the same kind of inclination as I did in that if they just got a couple more saves, it was literally the same roster that had just pushed the Vegas Golden Knights. It's relatively similar to the roster that had just pushed the Colorado Avalanche two years prior. So I look at it and say, if it has, if not much has changed, they should at least, maybe they're not a top team in the Pacific, but they should be a playoff team at worst. So I can't say that I'm surprised that they've gotten back because Connor McDavid getting healthy, they get a couple more saves. I think that makes the world of a difference for this group because it's certainly not bereft of talent. They have talent and they have really good players that at the peak of their powers are among the best in the world. When you put all that together, mix in a couple saves, makes the world of a difference. I am curious to see, though, because Freege mentioned it, Jack Campbell and when he might be back up, because I think it's probably sooner rather than later. And he also mentioned that it might not just be goaltending that the team's looking at, and then that's the other question is, yeah. you look at adding a, another top six guy, are you looking at depth scoring, or are you looking for a new defender that can help uh, solidify a bit of the workload and try to help... Uh, Whoever's going to be between the pipes get some more saves. I don't think it's top six because I think their top six is pretty set. Yeah. Like when you look at McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, Kane, probably Connor Brown in there as well. I think the top six is pretty set. And they, I don't think they can afford to move anybody to get to a player in that top six. But I think a depth defenseman is probably what they're looking at. Cause I, even their, even their bottom six forwards, like I don't hate their bottom six. I think it's fine. Um, that's not going to be what, what ends up winning it for them anyway. I think they need to add another defenseman one with, you know, a little bit of bite. Um, and then, and then the goaltending, I just don't know that they can fix that right now. I think they've dug themselves in such a hole and trying to move out money. Because if you're moving out money, if it's a bad contract, nobody wants it. And if it's a good player, you don't want to move them. So you're kind of in a tough spot anyway. So I I don't know that they're going to be able to do too much, but a depth defenseman with a little bit of bite is probably the direction that I would go in. I mean, yeah, Broberg hasn't really uh, worked out so far to the extent they want him to. Holloway struggled at times a bit, so those yep. could be two. Ryan McLeod just options. scored his first goal the other day, and it was an empty netter. And Ryan last McLeod, night, sorry, he's he's pretty good. He's had some good. I like uh, Ryan McLeod. I do too. He's fast. He's aggressive. He plays well on the forecheck. He's someone who has made an impact in the playoffs. Like he's a guy who you notice every time he's on the ice, especially when the games matter. I find so I don't really think that. I think if he's leading the way, maybe on the third line, adding in another scoring winger could definitely help make that impact funny that 
every time I see Ryan McLeod skate and the way he handles the puck, he looks like Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I know he hasn't put up yep. the same numbers, but stylistically, he kind of reminds me of Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, there's uh, some skill there. Yeah. Anything else on the Oilers, or do we have another team we want to move uh, on to? We got to move on to the Arizona Coyotes. Sure. You mentioned, team, you mentioned the Coyotes, uh, or the Oilers, having beat out the Golden Knights and Avalanche in the playoffs in the past. The Coyotes just beat the Lightning, Avs, and Golden Knights, the last three Stanley Cup winners in their last three games. So that's a team that's had a really tough last few years. But are they? They hold a final wild card spot in the West right now. So would you say that they're a team to keep an eye on? Definitely a team to keep an eye on because they also have like 150 draft picks over the next three drafts. I think they own every pick in the next three drafts, it feels like. And they're going to move some of those guys out because you only can use so many contracts. We know that. So I'm very curious to see what they do in terms of like, I don't think they're going to be taking on any sort of money. Um, That would be pretty obvious, but I think they could add some pieces around the edges. I mean, Logan Cooley is a, is a very good young player. Clayton Keller's off to another great start. Uh, really like Nick Schmaltz. Sean Dursey's been a really nice addition to that back end. And Connor Ingram has played really well. Like, he's he's been... I know we talked a lot about Vimelka and, and how good he was last year on a team that really wasn't super competitive. Um, he kept them competitive in a lot of games, but Connor Ingram has been the guy of late that has kind of carried the load a little bit. So I think that, I think that they're a very interesting team. Andre Tournier's done a fantastic job with that group. There's a reason why he was brought in. He does a really good job with younger players. We saw that at the junior hockey level. We saw that at the World Juniors. He's a great coach, and and I think that goes a long way for an organization that is a young organization and they plan to be young for the next little bit. Like they're not going to be bringing in a bunch of veterans, although they did, you know, they brought in Alex Kerfoot, they brought in Jason Zucker. So they have added some veteran players, but I look at them and I say, find me a team that has been super consistent. That is fighting for that wild card spot right now. Again, it's really early, but it's not like there's been a ton of consistency from those teams. And then I look at the coyotes and say, they've, kind of been in and around there. They're competitive. Hey, they beat three really good teams over their last three games. And so I say if they can add a couple of pieces around the edges, I think that they're at least in the conversation of being around the wild card spot when it's all said and done. Are they going to get in? I mean, there's always a chance. But again, when we look at the standings, you know, the Oilers are going to be making a play here. Uh, I don't think that the Oilers are going to be missing the playoffs. I I don't think that's happening. Um, When you look at, you know, Calgary's kind of on the fringes. Nashville, they just lost their first game in in their last six. Um, Seattle was in the playoffs last year. So there's some teams there, but then you look, you know, Chicago, San Jose, Anaheim's really come back down to earth. They've lost eight in a row. Um, I think they'll be in the conversation. I would, here's what I'll say. I would not be shocked one bit if the Arizona Coyotes are in the playoffs. Because we asked this question at the end of last year, which teams that were outside of the playoffs had the best chance to make the playoffs? And I think Jeff took Buffalo and I took Arizona because I looked at that group and the young players that they have coming up and it's a really exciting group that they have there. So I, I think, here's what I'll say. I think they're in the playoffs. How about that? Sure. I think the Coyotes make the playoffs. No, I, I think they definitely have a chance. And the, the beauty of their roster right now and the way it's constructed is even if they don't make the playoffs, if they decide that, you know, this just isn't our year, we got to wait another year, not only do they have 
all the assets to acquire top talent, make trades if they need to in the offseason. But they have some good players on short-term deals, cheap contracts that are going to be valuable. Look at a guy like Matt Dumba, who's also yeah, another one another of those guy. vets that was they added this year. So they definitely have the pieces they need to you know, either keep uh, contending for a playoff spot and keep pushing down the stretch or to make some moves and try to stockpile on some more picks and assets. Yeah. Now, we only have a few minutes left here, and I I think we have to get it's to this It's a very one. good producer eye by you. Well done. What can I say? Well done, young grasshopper. What can I say? But uh, this one, I had to make sure you did not see this one last night or today. We have a new hockey team, and we got one in Lake Tahoe, and it is the Lake Tahoe Monster or Night Monsters. ECHL, I'm assuming. ECHL team owned by none other than Tim Tebow. Okay. This is his team. So this is the crossover for me. The this Tahoe the Night Monsters. See, you lost me here. Like, I think the logo is really cool. Phenomenal. Absolutely. For those that are watching on TV um, and for those that are listening on radio or on the podcast, uh, look up Tahoe Night Monsters. The name, horrible. Night Monsters. Well, what's a Night monster? Isn't that counterintuitive? Well, like, I don't understand. And, for, and again, they're using night as in like night of the round table. Exactly. So there's a K. And then night. Mo- I can, if they were night monsters with an N, there then I get it. No, they lost me but here. What, I, I just, like the color scheme. I yeah. think it's really cool. Everything and the fact that it it's perfect. in Tahoe is pretty cool too. Everything about this is perfect. The colors, I love. The logo yeah. is awesome. I just... I don't know what a night monster is. Aren't well, what's in a, lore, well, knights fight the monsters. So what is a night monster? That just seems... No, in lore, knights fight... Oh, in like oh. fantasy. Okay, you know, I see fantasy, not They medieval. fight dragons. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So what is the... What's a I night monster? Don't, don't bring me into that spot. That's, a good, that's very well done, Austin. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like a night monster would be a monster that kills the knights. Like, that's how I would go about it. I mean, I'm not I'm not super educated, so I mean, I wouldn't... Don't take what I said as gospel there, but I like the logo. I think the logo is great. The Tahoe Knight... Who can... Who, can somebody hire me to give these names, please? Because here's the thing. As I've said, you know, like, there's a... This is so out of what we're talking about here, <laughs> but I saw something, and... I don't even know if it's true, but it's like Mountain Dew flavored hot dogs or something. It's disgusting. But here's the thing. Like, you think it's disgusting. Austin gave a look behind the glass. I'm sure Frank was like, what the heck? He's shaking his head. He's giving me the thumbs down. Of course. Here's the thing. For it to get past that point where it's in the phases of we're just talking about it, two people had to think that that was a good idea. It was like watermelon Mountain Dew infused Hot dogs. Hey, it's working. We're talking about it now, so maybe no, it's working. No, but no, I'm not trying it. I'm not buying it. We're doing we their can, advertising for them, we apparently. Can, we can talk about it all we want. I'm not buying that stuff. That's like I'm saying. Like, two people thought that Night Monsters was a good idea. Well, if it's going to be the affiliate of the Golden Knights, which it's likely not, they already have an ECHL affiliate. Who is their ECHL affiliate? Uh, the Savannah Ghost Pirates. Another one. Ghost Pirates. They would have had the Henderson most Silver pi- Knights and then the... Uh, most Pirates at this point are dead. So they're all ghosts anyway. We know that. How about just the ghosts or the pirates? Like, what are we doing here? They like the uh, descriptive names. Apparently. But thank you for the surprise. Like, I, I appreciate that. Because, again, cool. Lo- like, I would buy a hat. For sure. I mean, or they could send us one. But I would purchase a hat. I'm not certain that I... And just don't have night monsters on it. 
That's my thing. Fair enough. All right. That's going to wrap it up for the program, David. Thank you very much, young friend, for jumping in here. Uh, and a great job this week with the guests and putting up with my nonsense today. Uh, Jeff will be back on Monday. Oh, by the way, thanks to Austin behind the glass, Frank behind the glass as well. Um, making the show sound good, look good. We try. Uh, thanks to all the guests that joined us today. Elliot Friedman, Josh Yoey, and Thomas Drantz. Enjoy the weekend of hockey. It's only two games tonight on the board, uh, but there's a lot of games this weekend, so it'll be a lot of fun. Jeff will be back on Monday. Thanks to everybody that listened. You've been listening and watching the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network and on Sportsnet 360. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.